Planning with Pride 2023 Five Tips to Build Trust and Become an Ally Written by Peggy Haslack and read by Peggy Haslack According to the CFP Board, currently 76.4% of financial advisors are men, 23.6% are women, and less than 0.1% are non-binary. There aren't any statistics about the number that are transgender, but if you look at the above statistic and compare it to the general population, 50.5% female, 29.5% male, and 7.1% who identify as LGBTQIA, I think we can safely deduce that there are way too few transgender and LGBTQIA folks working in financial services. I think we can also conclude that LGBTQIA plus transgender and non-binary clients are going to need to find allies who are open to working with them if we're going to service these communities. However, when I hear financial professionals ask for training or financial planning for LGBTQIA+, I must remind them that the planning does not fit neatly into a box or a one-hour training session at a convention. I also hear this from advisors who identify with one letter in the acronym that despite their efforts to engage with the entire community, they have found that most clients are just like them and identify with the same letter. There's a reason for that. There are as many planning differences in the letters of the acronym LGBTQIA+, as there are colors in the rainbow. So trying to do a one-size-fits-all plan is like trying to paint a rainbow with a black and white paint. This year, rather than recycle my high-level Planning with Pride article, I thought I would focus on five tips for allies to let LGBTQIA plus transgender and non-binary folks know that you are open to working with them. Before I jump in, I want to point out that the definition of ally. According to the Human Rights Campaign, HRC, an ally is a term used to describe someone who is actively supportive of LGBTQ plus people. It encompasses straight and cisgender allies as well as those within the LGBTQ plus community who support each other. For example, a lesbian who is an ally to the bisexual community. If we're going to open our practices to working with LGBTQIA, transgender, and non-binary clients, we must start from the beginning. We need to gain their trust so that we can gather the information necessary to understand their personal and financial circumstances. This is step one of the financial planning process. We can't proceed to steps two through seven until we gather the information needed to start the engagement. Here are the five steps to build the rapport you need to gain trust. Tip number one, say their name. The Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, starts the process of relationship building with one quote. Remember, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. What that means is that if you want to build rapport with anyone right away, the best place to start is to learn how to say their name. In the course, they teach you to do it this way. Hi, my name is Peggy Haslack, and your name is? Hopefully they will mirror my introduction when they give their name. 
Hi Peggy, it's nice to meet you. My name is, and whatever their name is. In the book, Carnegie instructs that we should use the person's name as many times as possible. That will help you remember their names. The book goes on and gives memory hacks to help you remember their name the next time you meet them. This is important, especially if you're trying to get a working relationship with the individual. After your meeting, when you write down your notes, write down the person's name, its pronunciation, and something that will help you remember their name, especially if it's difficult to say or remember. By the way, I just assume two things. One is that you take notes, and the second is that you have a memory hack that you use to remember names. That all sounds simple, right? Then why does it get complicated when you are working with transgender and non-binary individuals who have changed their names? For some reason, some folks get bent out of shape because transgender and non-binary humans do not want to be addressed by their dead name. A dead name is a name that a transgender person was given at birth and no longer uses upon transitioning. Unless you have a good reason to bring up their dead name, you should never use it. Is there ever a time or reason to ask a person for their dead name? Yes. You may need to know a person's dead name if there are medical or financial records under that name that are needed for an application. People worry that they're all concerned about the transition information. They aren't. They want the name so they can find the records. I explain it this way when someone's filling out an insurance application. Part of the underwriting process is to search records for medical history, prescriptions, driving records, etc. So you will want to let them know the name and the years of the records would be under that name. If you need to enter the information on a person's records, then put it in the notes. Some medical record systems and CRM now have functions that overwrite the dead name so that anyone looking at the file will not use it Again, you do not ever want to use this in addressing the individual. You also want to make sure that others who access this information, like assistants, do not address them by their dead names. If you think of this, we do this for our clients who get married, divorce, or just change the name they use. I know people who use one name in high school, a different name in college, or even a third name during their careers. I know couples who have gotten married and rather than take each other's last name, they choose a name they feel represent their relationship better. Some people use their first name, others use their middle name. Some people use a nickname that has nothing to do with the name they use. In fact, my given name is Margaret. I go by Peggy. I don't use Margaret and I don't respond to it. Except when I was young and my mom used it. Of course, then she used my full name, Margaret Ann Teresa Haslack and I knew I was in trouble. Rather than question the person has changed their name or why they have changed their name, put all that energy into remembering to use the name they use. Say their name. Tip number two, use their pronouns. After you get their name, the books instructs you to use their name in a conversation often to start building rapport. This can get a little obnoxious if you overdo it. So the book goes on to tell you to listen for other things and remember other facts about the individual that will help you remember their name and establish the level of respect you hope to reach. The use of pronouns fits in perfectly here. By finding out what pronouns a person uses, 
you learn how they want to be addressed. You also learn information that shows that you want to talk to them in a way that respects and honors them. Lately, there's been a big commotion about pronouns, and we need to go back and look at this a little bit deeper. Some are saying we should only, that there only should be two pronouns because there are only two true genders. That's not right. Did you know there are languages where there are no genders? Indonesian, Finnish, Hungarian, Mandarin, and even Japanese are languages that technically do not have any pronouns. By forcing someone to go by standard English pronouns, we are not treating people as how they want to be treated, but treating people as how we feel they should be treated. There is nothing wrong with letting people know how you want to be treated in a conversation. That same courtesy should be used for both sides of the conversation. How do we find out their pronouns and if they use them? The best way is to add a little bit more to that Dale Carnegie introduction. Hi, my name is Peggy Haslack. I go by she, her pronouns. And you are? Now, I know you might be thinking, what if I don't want to use any pronouns? Then don't. In fact, there are many people, even in the LGBT community, who don't want to use their pronouns. And there are those who come from countries that don't have any gender, gendered pronouns that are right there with you. But because you don't want to use pronouns doesn't mean that another individual should not be able to use their pronouns. Again, it's a matter of respect. By learning a person's pronouns, you're telling them you want to have a converse, conversation with them that doesn't get awkward when you use the wrong pronoun. Now, one last thing. It might get awkward. The first few times you use them, if you're not using the pronouns and don't instinctive, instinctively use the pronoun the person has told you to use. What do you do in that case? You apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm not used to using pronouns. I'm trying to learn how to do better. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to try. Let's wrap this up. Pronouns are a way for people to inform each other how they want to be addressed. If you want to open a conversation and someone offers their pronouns, use them. Likewise, if you want someone to address you by your pronouns, let them know what they are. But wait, are there times that you would not want to use pronouns? Yes. We'll find out in the next tip. Tip number three, watch your words. In the previous tip, we talked about using pronouns and listening for words people use to describe themselves or identify themselves so that you can build rapport. Is there ever a time when we would not want to use genderized pronouns or words? Yes, there is. Let's go back to that meeting where we learned the person's name and found out about their pronouns. Now we want to get deeper information about the individual. Most of us use a template, fax finder, or a discovery that is a standardized list of questions. Often the first question on that list is, are you married or single? Then depending on how they answer that question, many of us take a shortcut on the second question because we assume. If you're talking to a woman and they give you every indication that they are straight, you're going to ask the question, what is your husband's name? If you know that they identify as being gay, you might ask, what's their wife's name? Oftentimes, your assumption right. 
and it excites both you and the client because you are so perceptive. By the way, Gadar is real. If that experience goes well, that means you're probably going to get referrals to others where the assumptions continue to work. Sometimes the assumption doesn't work, and when that happens, it gets awkward. Not all lesbian women who use she, her pronouns are married to women who use she, her pronouns. In fact, in recent years, I've noticed that combinations are almost infinite on gender, identity, and pronouns. And once you get into the awkward situation where you assume wrong, it can cause a relationship to go south very quickly. How do you prevent that? Rather than assuming someone with she, her pronouns is married to someone with he, him, or even she, her pronouns, try using they, them in the sentence. For example, rather than saying, is she going to join us at the next meeting, say, are they going to join us at the next meeting? You can prevent this uncomfortable back and forth by using an inclusive phrase that allows the client to fill in the blanks. A question I will ask, is there anyone else in your household that you would like to participate in our planning sessions? If so, could you please tell me a little bit more about them? This also comes in handy when you're talking about any family members. What if they, they have a child that has a gender neutral name like Chris? Do you assume Chris is he or she? How about saying, do you have any children or dependents in your household? If so, what are their names? And if they tell you their names and you need to know how old they are, that's when you ask, how old are they? You can do this exercise with your entire script and pick up phrases that could be reworded so that they will fill in the blanks for you and you don't have to second guess. Typical examples, instead of husband or wife, use partner or spouse. Instead of daughter or son, use little ones, dependents, or the current favorite, kiddos. And then by adding that phrase, please tell me more about them, you open the door for them to give you all the information you need. If the answers they give mess with how, mesh with how you identify, you've established common ground. This is the reason why advisors say, though they want to collaborate with other <coughs> members of the community, they have found that they have a book that is very much like them. This can happen because the person says something that you don't understand or do not identify with the same letters with you. We cannot assume that anyone who is an expert at working with LGBTQIA is an expert on all the letters. So what do you do if someone identifies with different letters in the acronym? We'll get into that in our next tip. Tip number four, learn their ABCs. People's identities don't fit neatly in a box, yet people try to continually put them in the same box. Recently, we've been seeing this happen with transgender and non-binary and the LGBT community. We're not going to take the time to go into a glossary of terms. Instead, I'll give background and touch on four that will clear up some misinformation we are hearing in the media these days. What do all the letters mean? LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA, LGBTQQIA, 2S and all the other variants of the acronym were developed by communities specifically to recognize the solidarity between different groups of people persecuted for their sexualities, 
gender identities, and gender expressions. The acronym is an amalgamation of terms. Some of the letters are about sexual orientation or whom they are sexually attracted to. Those are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or queer. Others are about their gender identity and expression, transgender, agender, non-binary, or genderqueer. Some of the letters of the acronyms have two words associated with them. Others have more. For example, Q could be for questioning or queer. A could be for ally, asexual, or agender. Some people feel like we've been adding letters. That's not the case. Letters are added to expand upon the experience of those in the community you are working with. For example, two-spirit, 2S, comes from Native Americans and implies that the individual holds two spirits, one male and one female. Though the term might be new to people, the concept has been around for ages. Many refrain from talking about sexual orientation and gender identity or expression because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. By listening for and respecting a person's self-identified terminology, you can build respect and trust. Again, if you refer to a person in a way they identify, using the words they use, then your conversation will be easier and more comfortable. It is helpful to read one of the many glossaries available online. That way, if the term comes up in a conversation, you can look it up. The glossary I use is the one from the Human Rights Campaign, or HRC. Before we move on to the last tip, the four terms I want to discuss because of the misinformation, anti-LGBTQIA, and anti-trans rhetoric we are seeing in the news are cisgender, transgender, intersex, and non-binary. According to the HRC's definition, the term cisgender is used to describe a person whose gender identity lines with those who typically associate with the sex assigned to them at birth. Transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectations based on the sex they were assigned at birth. Being transgender does not imply any specific sexual orientation. Therefore, they may identify as straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, etc. Not all transgender individuals have surgery or medical procedures when they transition. Intersex. Intersex people are born with a wide variety of differences in their sex traits and reproductive anatomy, including difference in genitalia, chromosomes, gonads, internal sex organs, hormone production, hormone response, and or se secondary sex traits. How often does this happen? According to Interact, Advocates for Intersex Youth, a specialist in sex differentiation is called in for roughly one out of every 1,500 to 2,000 births. But many more are born with subtler traits that do not show until they are older. Non-binary is an adjective describing a person who's, who does not identify exclusively as a man or a woman. Non-binary people might identify as being both a man and a woman, or somewhere in between, or as falling completely outside of these categories. While many also identify as transgender, not all non-binary people do.
As you can see, the letters of the rainbow, as you can see, the letters are a rainbow of colors, and the colors are an infinite number of combinations. So that's why it's particularly important to use the words that people use to identify themselves. It is also important to be able to recognize the words that are being used to demean, humiliate, and tear down the community. Tip number five, rinse and repeat. If you follow the first four tips and have built rapport to the point where you both feel heard and respected, then it is natural to engage in financial planning. All too often there are advisors who use these tools to land the client, then fall back into old practices over time. I can't tell you the number of times I've been told, my advisor said they were LGBT friendly, but later on something happens to indicate otherwise. One such case was a lesbian woman who was married to a transgender man. She asked her advisor to screen her funds for ESG. Over time, she noticed that her funds were gradually shifting into stocks for companies that may have fit the E in ESG, but definitely did not fit the S or the G because of the company's stance on LGBTQ plus rights. One case was a company whose CEO has been outspoken against the transgender community. Now, it is very possible that the advisor never told uh, told the advisor that the spouse was transgender or even that she was gay. Either way, when she goes back to ask about the investments, it's not going to be very comfortable for anyone in the room. If we are truly acting as fiduciaries and are doing what is in the best interest of the client when we engage in the planning, we will need to continue to the, use these tips throughout the life of the engagement. Unfortunately, in addition to the scenario I mentioned, we are currently seeing another force that could break the trust and respect we earned to establish a great working relationship. There is a misinformation campaign being spread about transgender information as states try to pass legislation to outlaw gender-affirming care, bathroom use, and participation in sports. Much of this misinformation is being pushed out in a way that causes people to start using terminology without knowing the effect it may have on others. I'll give you an example. Three years ago, I got into a conversation with a female athlete about transgender women who are athletes. At that time, I believed we were on the same page. Over the next couple of years, she was sending me emails about the group she was pulling together, and I noticed that her terminology had changed. She was no longer using transgender woman. She was now using transgender biological male. And in the last email I received from her, she used the term transgender identified male. My feelings on the subject had not changed. I was wondering if her thoughts had changed or if she was starting to use these words because the words that others were using to label transgender women and put them in a perceived scientific box. We see it all the time. It sounds logical, doesn't it? Transgender biological male. Transgender identified male. Sounds scientific or medical, so therefore must be a fact, right? No. They are your words that used to demean and demonize transgender women by using terms they don't use to identify themselves. It is a way to say that all transgender women are men. It is quite easy to fall into that trap if we use these words because they make us sound impressive, credible, or scientific. 
it can be avoided if we listen to, to understand and learn the words and terms these individuals use to identify themselves. To summarize, I know this article is about financial planning, but these same skills can be used by any professional, doctors, lawyers, even veterinarians. If we say their name, use their pronouns, watch our words, respect how they identify, and continue this through the life of the engagement, then we will have a strong working relationship where we get to do the work we want to do. Planning with pride. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Finity Group and Cambridge are not affiliated.